Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's a famous line from Shakespeare, all the world's a stage and we are the players. And uh, it's really a, a pretty cosmic way of seeing that uh, this is one huge, vast, complex play play of consciousness. In, in Hinduism, the word that's it, often used is lila, the play or the dance of consciousness that takes all of these various forms, the lila of life. It's a beautiful word because it's, it certainly changes things from, you know, oh, what a, what a bummer of a a drama this is to, oh, it's just a dance, it's just a play. It looks very serious, especially when you're in the middle of a serious act or scene, but it's just life playing with itself. The Tibetans have a, a beautiful term, the magical display of the unmanifest. This is just the magical display. It seems so real, doesn't it? Most of the time, it's so hard to see that it's just a play or a display. But that's what's going on. You know, here we are sitting together in this room, and there's individuals, each with our own story and our own day and our own um, circumstances happening in our life. But here we are, just these expressions of consciousness, um, agents of consciousness, ma uh, matrices of consciousness, maybe we could say it like that, that are like nodes of consciousness collecting in these different forms. And uh, we take our own story to be not only real, but the, the main show in town. <laughs> and it's true for us, it is the main show in town. I mean, what else is there? As uh, Ramdas says, a book called The Only Dance There Is. Uh, it's the only movie there is, the one that you're in the middle of right now, called You. And each one in this 
each node of consciousness, these different beings, um, has uh, a singular vantage point that makes, for better or worse, or one could say in general, that makes sense to you. Uh, it may be the circumstances of your life don't make sense to you, but your response makes sense to you, or maybe it doesn't, <laughs> but it makes more sense to you than to anybody else, probably. <laughs> as confusing as your response might be, you know, if you trace it back, say, oh, this is what was going on. Isn't that amazing? We all have our own individual movie that we're the star of. Sometimes we're the hero or the heroine. Sometimes we're the, the villain or the, the victim or whatever spin the particular show happens to be. But it's my movie. And everybody in your life is part of the cast of characters that somehow make it up. <clears throat> so some of those characters in our movie are really A1 favorite characters. Some of them we might think we could do better off without. Some are challenging, some are just so inspiring, and sometimes people play different roles at different times. The most inspiring, wonderful character in your movie can easily turn into the villain in just the flick of, the blink of an eye, or as uh, Stephen Levine has this line that we could apply to this, fortunes change quicker than the swish of a horse's tail. You know? And the characters in our life can change also, their roles, quicker than the flick of a horse's tail. Yes, how amazingly fortunate I was that I found you. Oh my God, <laughs> what was I thinking? Yeah. Um, how do I get out of this one gracefully? Yeah. Oh no, 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 what was I thinking? No, I need you, I need you. Oh, don't leave me. Now you can leave me. Uh, you know. Keeps on changing. And we all, have our intersecting realities because you're in their cast too. And sometimes you might be the hero and sometimes or the heroine and sometimes you might be the villain, the bad guy or the whatever. How to work with the cast and um, really take this on as Dharma practice. In recent days, I, there are a number of people in, in my life that I know 
who've been going through um, major transitions, transitions health-wise. You know, their cast of characters all of a sudden is including doctors that they never thought they'd be meeting so soon. Some involve transitions in uh, connections and relationships, a, a number of them. It seems like, I don't know if, if there's an astrologer here or if Mercur Mercury is in retrograde or something like that. It, it, you're, you're saying, yes, it is? Your boss, her boss says Mercury's in retrograde, okay. <laughs> but, but they're, yeah, in their movie. What is that, what did you say? Huh? The third eclipse. There's, there's something happening here. You know? <laughs> if you're old enough, there was a Buffalo Springfield song. You know? What it is ain't exactly clear, but something is going on. So we can look back as there are shifts and transitions and, and maybe be saying, you know, oh, where did, where did I go wrong, or what happened, or, oh, I would have been better off, or whatever. You know, why did, why did the movie have to go this way? Or, oh my goodness, thank God, you know, I finally, I've been waiting a long time, and now my movie finally has peaked. There's a couple of people here who uh, just got married, just got engaged, uh, there's a lot of happiness. It's like, you know, here we are, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, right, right in this room. So, how to work with your movie, you know, all the ups and downs and all the cast of characters in it. You know, at the, uh, at the end of the, the sitting, we do the chanting, and uh, we say, um, after the namo tassa, uh, homage to the Buddha, and we say, um, uh, Budang Saranang Gachami, I take refuge in the Buddha, in the, the Buddha inside, the wisdom inside, as well as the whatever inspiration from uh, Gotama Buddha. And then we say, um, Damang, Budang Saranang Gachami, Damang Saranang Gachami, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the way things are unfolding. The Dharma, most everybody here I'm sure knows that word. The Dharma means the truth of things, the actuality, reality, how things are actually unfolding. And then there's, I take refuge in the Sangha, in the community, my cast of characters that support me in my practice. But when we, we say, I take refuge in the Dharma, that's a very, a very profound statement, for me anyway. I take refuge in the Dharma. It's not only taking refuge in the truth, in, in being honest, in seeing clearly what's here, but to take refuge in the truth, to take refuge in the nature of things, is to see that there is uh, a safety in life, not safety that everything's going to work out, but a kind of uh, surrender of 
thinking that we know how the script should be and a kind of trust that we are given just what we need to wake up. For me, that's what taking refuge in the Dharma is. Every single moment, we're given just what we need to wake up. It might not be the picture that we would plan if we had our say, but it's just the one that life is giving to us and saying, here, you might be ready for this. Oh, you want to learn patience? Time for a kid, okay? <laughs> You want to learn to stretch yourself with all your attachments, um, time to um, see about what it's like to lose somebody near you that you love. You want to experience what goodness is about, time to meet somebody who inspires you and remembers, reminds you what, who you really are as you encounter them. You want to really stretch yourself with compassion, time to open up to some suffering and see that part of life. So when you're taking refuge in the Dharma and you see that you're given just what you need to wake up, the key is uh, having that perspective and using it wisely instead of seeing the circumstances in our life as a blessing or a curse. What is it in Carlos Castaneda's books? He says, uh, you know, the, the, the most, most, uh, most people think of life as either giving them blessings or curses, but a man or woman of knowledge sees everything as a challenge for their warrior awakening. Uh, a number of months ago, I, I shared, and I've shared it a few times since, a practice that I've been doing, and I want to share it and, and tweak it a little bit for this, this talk, uh, this practice of letting in the love. I've, I've talked a bit about that. For those who haven't been here, um, uh, and I, I was inspired by uh, this book, Awakening Through Love by John McCransky, where he he says, um, just see all the goodness coming your way. Somebody smiles at you or opens up a door or says a kind word. That, that is life saying to you, you are loved. You are worthy of kindness. You are, um, you are cared about. And to really see that person or that dog or whatever being it is that's sending you some good energy as really an agent of that uh, well-wishing. To take refuge in the Dharma, I would suggest that we can practice seeing all of life's circumstances, the good, the bad, the ugly, the the, the beings who are the carriers of those circumstances um, as just agents of life saying, here, now you're ready for this. Now you're ready to, to wake up to this. Instead of thinking, you know, how the heck did you get into my movie? <laughs> you know? 
oh, there's something here for me to learn. There's something for me here to, to stretch myself, to, to open my heart in one way or another, to, to take in all the goodness coming my way, or to open up with uh, compassion to the hard stuff, or to not open up and protect myself if that's what's needed. Oh, maybe I need to really take care of myself and have some healthy boundaries. You know, it's not always that it's 100% one should open up every single moment, but taking care of yourself is a very crucial lesson as well, especially if it's done with kindness and, and without making somebody else wrong. So that's the key to hold our drama and our cast of characters um, without blame on anyone's part. That's an extraordinary uh, perspective to have. A number of years ago, I was sitting, it was, uh, I might have shared this uh, before, but I was sitting at uh, the Forest Refuge in Massachusetts. Mm, this was like, I think 2003 it was. And, um, you know, when you sit on retreats, you often, or it's, it's not uncommon to go through your whole personal history. And uh, I had done that a lot of my earlier retreats, like, you know, 35 years ago, and 34 years ago, and 33 years ago, and 32 <laughs> years ago. And like for the first, you know, probably six or eight years of retreats, it was, you know, there was a common theme of just processing all the things that I'd gone through. That wasn't the only experience, but it was a very uh, common theme. And on one retreat, one longer retreat, I really uh, thought I had you know, come to terms with, with all of it. And then this retreat, you know, not that long ago, there it was again, my whole um, um, upbringing. And, uh, but I was seeing it from a very different perspective. Um, there were my, it was my family, my, my parents and relatives, and I saw their parents and relatives and theirs, and back and back and back through the generations. And um, I could just see everybody doing absolutely the best they could. You know, as much as I wished it were different, you know, oh, if only... And I, I should say, I, I had a, you know, I had a lot of love in growing up, but I wasn't always able to see it or, or take it in. And this one, as I, uh, as I was reflecting on this, this one sitting that that was very powerful for me, the title of a Trungpa Rinpoche book just came across the whole scene. He has one book, thin little little known book. Uh, the title of which is Dharmas Without Blame. Dharmas Without Blame. And over this whole scene of my family and the generations before and the generations before, it was so clear, no one's to blame. I mean, you could say, oh, that wasn't so skillful. But everybody just doing the best they could, 
because their movie made sense to them and their own conditioning and their own confusion and their own fears and their own, all the circumstances that, plus the love that they received coming out in a particular way, um, there was, it was more than, it wasn't, it was, there, first there was a feeling of compassion I had. Oh, of course, so everybody going through their hard stuff. But then it was, it was beyond compassion. It was just, oh, of course. Things are the way they are. Couldn't be otherwise. And there was, it was compassion, but it was more like wisdom or clarity that was suffused with compassion. What a relief to let go of the blame. I, I've talked about this phrase, the bliss of blamelessness, which uh, the Buddha talked about as being the happiness that comes when you are without blame. When you're acting with complete integrity and there's uh, just a, a feeling like there's nothing to hide, nothing that you need to apologize for because you're really walking your talk. The bliss of blamelessness. But another dimension of the bliss of blamelessness, the, as, as powerful as that, that bliss of that blamelessness there where you don't have anything to blame, anyone to blame, uh, that you, no one can blame you, I should say, is the blamelessness that you feel towards others. That's an incredible relief, an incredible putting down of the baggage. That is so freeing, so liberating, where you don't have to contract and say, that's not fair. Of course, you might go through your pains and your hurts and your, your grieving, and I'm not saying you just kind of condone, condone and say, oh, it's all cool. But to see with the eye of compassion, you know, the, the eye that Kuan Yin or the Buddha might have, or Jesus might have, that, you know, forgive them, they know not what they do. Um, that is tremendously freeing. And when you think of the alternative, God damn it, why are they doing what they're doing? Or, oh, they're just doing what makes sense to them. And it's my, my job to just see clearly and take care of myself and protect myself and not close my heart in, in anger uh, towards them. Mm. This is uh, from the Dalai Lama. He's saying, um, an essential component of compassion and forgiveness is realizing that the other person's words and actions are not about you, but about their internal reality, which has intersected with yours. I'll just share that one more time. This is really the heart of what I'm trying to say. An essential component of compassion and forgiveness is realizing that the other person's words and actions 
are not about you, but about their internal reality, which has intersected with yours. Really, it's so clear and so obvious when you think about it, of course. We're just going around with our own little world. Mm, let's see if I can remember. Yes, uh, I, was, I was thinking about the Four Agreements. How many people have ever read the Four Agreements here? It's a great book, and I, I haven't looked at it in ages. I, I gave a series of talks on the Four Agreements a number of years ago. almost makes me want to do it again because it was so good. It, I think it did. Is that on tape? Uh, Joyce, do you know if those, oh no, I have, I have them on cassette tapes. I'm not giving those tapes away, but maybe, <laughs> we, can, maybe we can uh, post them. Or maybe I'll give another series of talks. But uh, this is by um, Don Miguel Ruiz, a, a practical guide to personal freedom. And he says um, that we all have intersecting realities. Let me see if I can find this. Hmm. I'll read a little example. During our domestication, as he calls it, uh, our parents and siblings give, gave their opinions about us without even thinking. We believed these opinions and we lived in fear over these opinions, like not being good at swimming or sports or writing. Someone gives an opinion and says, look, this girl is ugly. The girl listens, believes she is ugly, and grows up with the idea that she is ugly. It doesn't matter how beautiful she is. As long as she has that agreement, she will believe that she is ugly. That is the spell she is under. By hooking our attention, the word can enter our mind and change a whole belief for better or for worse. Another example, you may believe you're stupid and you may have believed this for as long as you can remember. This agreement, he says, we can agree with somebody else's belief system and it takes it, puts us under a spell. This agreement can be very tricky because causing you to do a lot of things just to ensure that, you're, that you are stupid. You may do something and think to yourself, I wish I were smart, but I must be stupid or I wouldn't have done that. The mind goes in hundreds of different directions and we could spend days getting hooked by just this one belief in our own stupidity. Then one day, someone hooks your attention and using the word lets you know that you are not stupid. You believe what the person says and make a new agreement. As a result, you no longer feel or act stupid. A whole spell is broken just by the power of the word. And he says on and on, he makes the point that we're all living in our own realities. And whether we agree, somebody, the power of somebody's word can put us under a spell and we agree with their belief and it is almost impossible to undo that unless we either see that we've taken on some core belief 
or somebody else believes in you or sees something else in you and says, oh, you're really a Buddha in there. You say, oh, wow. I never thought of that. That's the amazing thing of, of, of Sangha, that we can, we can wake each other up by seeing through our beliefs or maybe substituting a, a more positive belief for something that had contracted us down. Oh, you mean original sin isn't true? Oh, how novel. Oh, you mean there is a refuge in a Buddha right inside? It's amazing. It, it has always um, fascinated me that when somebody can latch on to a different thought, their whole worldview can change. In a moment, it can change. That's why it's so wonderful to hang out with, with people who can see your goodness or who can remind you of something that you know inside to be true but have forgotten or maybe didn't realize it was available to you. So it's good in your cast of characters to have a few people in there that can, that can do that. Uh, my, my wife and I, we had uh, our wedding vows, which I, I say in every, uh, when I do a wedding ceremony, I, the, I use the vows that we wrote together and the, and the ceremony that we married to. So every time I do a wedding ceremony, I kind of remember what I, uh, hmm, not quite got myself into, but uh, <laughs> what I committed to, you know, what I committed to, and it's inspiring. And, and part of our vows saying, um, hmm, we've been given to each other to help each other wake up. And drawing on the, the strength of our, of our union, may, may we use our, our life's difficulties as opportunities to become more aware. Um, if you can have a few people in your cast of characters, like-minded friends, who can help you to become more aware, then that can, that can go a whole long way in appreciating and honoring every person in our cast as being part of our curriculum. Every single one of them is part of our curriculum. I'm trying to remember if I said this a few, uh, in the last few months, if I did then, um, then uh, forgive me again. Uh, but, um, in, uh, I, was, I was reading, oh, I was writing about something, a book that I had read very, uh, a, long, a long time ago. It was a, it's a series of children's books that I, I would read with Adam, my son Adam, who's now 22, and when he was young, I, every, my favorite, one of my favorite things in the world, in my life, in my memories, is uh, reading with Adam every, every, uh, every morning. Uh, and, uh, and most evenings, but in the morning time, we get into bed when he was like, you know, five, four, five, so. And I'd be reading these books, you know, ostensibly for him, but, you know, I was reading them for me, you know, Chronicles of Narnia and 
all these, you know, The Hobbit and stuff like that. And there was this one series of books, um, The Prydain Chronicles. Did I mention this recently? In here? The Prydain Chronicles by Lloyd Alexander. It's a um, fabulous um, series, five books, starting with, uh, I think it's The Book of Three, The Black Cauldron, The Castle of Lear, Taran Wanderer, and The High King. Wow, it's amazing, I remembered that all. <laughs> but the second book is The Black Cauldron, and there's, um, there's obviously the good guys and the bad guys. And Taran is this young uh, uh, protagonist, young, uh, he's the uh, pig keeper. That was his, his job before he became this, the hero of this, uh, this whole band, kind of like Luke Skywalker, you know. And uh, there's an elder, a very wise elder named uh, Gwydion. And in this story, they are dealing with very negative black forces, uh, um, uh, nefarious forces. And, um, and uh, one of the good guys turns to the evil side. And at the end of, of the whole book, uh, after the battles are, are you know, fought and, uh, and the, the good guys win, um, Gwydion is honoring all the, the, uh, the people on their side that they are grateful for. And in it, as they're going through this whole ceremony, he says, and we must honor, I forget the, 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 the guy's name who turned traitor, and we have to, and we include... Uh, this, this one. And Taryn says, include him? How could you include him? He, he was a traitor. He turned on us. We almost lost because, because he went to the other side. Mm. And um, mm, really gets to me. And Gwydion says, no, no, no. You don't understand. That if he wasn't on our side in the beginning, we wouldn't have won this battle. We wouldn't have done this. This turn of events would have gone completely in another direction. There were a number of junctures where our whole endeavor would have been lost if it weren't for him. Yes, it's true, he went to the other side. But we have to honor everything that he did for us to get us to where we could win. And um, when I read that, as now I'm just kind of uh, um, choking up, I thought of all the people in my life who I had so much um, hope and inspiration and put them on a pedestal and somehow was disappointed by at some point that they fell off their pedestal. Almost, almost all of my teachers proved to be fallible. You know, they weren't perfect. Oh my goodness. And going through, I remember on one, uh, one metta retreat, just trying to look for a benefactor. Well, there's this, and there's this, and this, but no, but they did this, and they did that, and they did that. And um, 
seeing when I read that, that book, realizing how you want to honor everybody in your life, and you want to honor and appreciate all the richness that you've gotten from them, whether it was the good stuff or the hard stuff that has made you who you are and made you grow. So if you have a way of getting disappointed by people, anybody here? <laughs> we can so easily focus on how they didn't quite live up to our expectations. So easily. Oh, but but they didn't they didn't all the way. They were supposed to be perfect and clear. And they missed it that way. And they and I got hurt or I was let down, or I was frustrated, or I was ignored. Or I, and they're just living in their own movie, right? As doing as best they can, but to discard them or to think, oh, they don't deserve my love anymore. This is, or they don't deserve my honoring of who they are in my life. This is a, a great price to pay because then you Put them out of your heart. Isn't that interesting how we can love somebody so much and in a moment the heart contracts and we protect ourselves and don't want to open up to it again. It's a great, a great price to pay to close your heart. And again, I'm not saying you should just, you know, oh, get over it. You have to feel all the feelings that you have. You have to feel all the hurts. You have to feel and honor all the, all the, the sadnesses and the anger, uh, which is usually sadness or hurt or fear underneath. So to honor that, but not to put them out of your heart, to see, oh, that's part of my dharma too. How many things have you learned from all the disappointments in your life? Mm. So, if you think of it in terms of your, your bodhisattva training, this is part of my bodhisattva training, then praise or blame is extra. Pla praise or blame, if you're subject to praise or blame, oh, they like me, oh, they don't like me, oh, they lived up to my expectation, oh, they didn't, then you're going to be having a scorecard throughout, through your life, and it can, it's, it's going to be a pass-fail test. You know. Yep, passed that one, okay. Yep, they did it perfectly, okay. That's the way they passed that one. Oh, they blew it. That's, that's a hard way to go through life. Rather than pass-fail test or praise or blame, to really open with gratitude to the Dharma, they are the agents of your awakening, and open to um, the Dharma with surrender. Okay, what's here for me here? Gurdjieff, you, you know the, uh, the, the, the uh, consciousness uh, teacher, George Gurdjieff, uh, there's a story about this community that 
he ran very fierce community uh, with very, uh, very um, uh, challenging teachings. And people had to pay a lot of money to study with him. And there was the, there's this story that sometimes we used to tell on retreats about this one guy in the community who was just driving everybody crazy. You know, all it takes is one person in the community to, you know, have a big effect. And this guy just was marching to a different drummer. And uh, it, it got to be so bad. And everybody made, uh, he made everybody's life so difficult. And they made his life so difficult that at one point, um, he said, that's it, I'm leaving. And Gurdjieff found that this guy was leaving the community, had left the community. He, had, he wasn't living with, with all of the, the members of the community. But when he found out that this guy was, uh, had left the community, he tracked him down, he hunted him down, and he said, I'll pay you to come back and live in that community. <laughs> and this is the teacher paying him, you know. Pay, everybody else is paying huge, you know, a lot of money to live with him. And, he, and when people found out, he said, okay, I'll go back. You know? When people found out that he was getting paid, they completely flipped out. How can you do this? We finally got rid of him. And you're paying him? And Gurdjieff says, he's the, he's the yeast that makes this community grow. You need him as much as you need everybody else in this community. I know, you're not signing up for that one, right? <laughs> but just like they needed him, you know, the, the, the Buddha had Mara. And you know, the, the Judeo-Christian religion has the devil, has Satan. The, the, the light needs the dark in some ways. You know, that's the, we live in a world of duality. And this is the human realm, the human realm which is said to be the optimal realm to wake up because it has just the right combination of pleasure and pain. You know? Yeah, give me a break, huh? I'll go for the heaven realms, thank you. But supposedly, if you're in the heaven realms, you're just kind of lolling about saying, oh, this is cool. And you don't really get the marrow of what life is about. And you can spend long time in the heaven realms and then go unconscious. And of course, if you're in hell realms, this is not such a, an easy place to wake up because you're just you know, in suffering all the time. But the human realm is the perfect realm because we have both the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. And that is said to be the perfect balance where we see all the goodness in life and we wake up to all the challenges. It's all perfect. Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba used to say, don't you see it's all perfect? And there's birth and death and bacteria and viruses and, and uh, gazelles and lions and everything. Is, is part of this sphere. We're in a perfect ecosystem where we need it all. And if you take out anything, the whole ecosystem starts to break down. 
you know, if they got rid of all the bacteria, if somehow you got rid of all the bacteria in your system, you might think, oh yeah, who needs bacteria? You need bacteria. You'd die very quickly without bacteria. And you can't just say, oh, we'll get rid of the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, and we'll leave the, the good. It doesn't work that way. It's all part of it. So when uh, somebody when somebody is hard for you, every time you're feeling uncomfortable with that character in your cast, it's like seeing an opportunity to see what, where am I caught here? What am I believing? How am I getting lost in memory or judgment? How can I reclaim my understanding, reclaim my power? How can I come into harmony with seeing clearly and seeing the way things are? It's, it's an invitation to free up all those places that we get caught. And the biggest place that we get caught is forgetting that it's all a dream. Is forgetting that it's all an illusion, all a magical display in the, in the first place. So I'll just close with a, a few lines from uh, Anam Rinpoche, this book that I've been reading and just loving, No Self, No Problem. He says, uh, the story of my life is an illusion. My birth, my relationships, and so forth, they're all a story just like a movie. If something happens to my brain, much of this story will immediately be forgotten. Therefore, in the ultimate sense, it's not truly existent. It's an illusion. We have to be careful when we come to the spiritual world so that we do not fall into the trap of accumulating new illusions. When illusions collapse, they collapse with a sense of disappointment, discouragement, and bitterness as well. And we go around with our antenna up looking for another illusion. We've, we want to find an illusion that gives us comfort that gives us what could be called a psychological massage. And soon we find another illusion, one that is full of promise. Oh, this is a better movie. What is our main illusion? The illusion that I am real. I am truly existent. This final illusion is the one we want to hold on to. But in fact, we have to come to terms with the fact that this is an illusion too. And then you can go ahead and enjoy your movie. It's not to do away with it and say, oh, how silly of me that I believe this movie. No, then you can play it your movie. Then you really have the leela, the, the play of consciousness, and see, oh, everybody is just, what an amazing central casting <laughs> that gave me just what I needed. How does that, and not only that, that I belong in everybody else's movie, too. How perfect. But it's just a movie. And then you can play at it. And you can enjoy the intersecting realities that we all share. So, just uh, have a few moments to see if there's any question, any, anything on one's mind before we close. Yeah. Oh, 
It's Glenn, here, why don't you pass uh, Ricardo or pass it back up to Hi, Glenn. Thank you for this talk. It's uh, very relevant for me just now, and I, the part of it that um, that I have a bit of a question on, I think, is the opening of the heart versus the protecting mm -hmm. of the heart, mm -hmm. and the difference between protecting and shutting down. Because what I'm finding is find my heart very open at moments and the more open it is uh, when the fear comes up the more it slams shut and it's not necessarily it feels like it's slamming a little too far to just protect me it's more uh, it's more just shutting down so I was just wondering if you yeah maybe speak to that mm. how do you get a sense of the the difference when it's a skillful protecting as opposed to a, a an an unconscious shutting down, closing off. Well, I think with the with the unconscious um, shutting down, it feels. I feel a lot of of um, contraction, maybe in the body that comes along with it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and just uh, a general closing, like to everything and to everything, instead of the particular instance that perhaps I'd need to protect myself from. Mm -hmm. I think that's you're, you're onto something there. There's something about if it's motivated by, and, and certainly it's not all 100% um, clean. There's mixed motivations, but if it's motivated by fear. There's, it's a different quality than if the main motivation is um, taking care of yourself and kindness and compassion. And having, say, a healthy boundary where you need to process stuff in its own time, as opposed to, like you say, when you shut down and you shut out the whole world in the process, you know, there's that clamping. There's, it's not coming out of compassion, it's coming out of, out of, out of fear. And, um, and that, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, it's just at times you do have to protect yourself and all you, need, all you can do is say, hey, I need some space here. So, you know, not to feel badly for that, but to keep on coming back and seeing is this, is this fear-based or am I doing it you can do exactly the same thing and doing it out of a sense of kindness for yourself and still not put that other person, not wish that person ill as opposed to I'm taking care of myself, may they, may they be well. You know, for me, um, if you're, if somebody has disappointed you and they say the relationship goes through a change, uh, I think it's really important to somehow find a way where two people who've really cared about each other are somehow wishing each other well, whether they ever see each other again, that there's somebody out in, uh, floating in that, you know, on this planet who is saying, yeah, 
I wish you well, and you're wishing that for them too. So um, uh, that, that way of, of transitioning is really key because you can spend you know, the next 10 years or 20 years with a contraction as opposed to uh, you know, feeling like, okay, I've learned what I needed to from that, and I honor our, our work together. Thank you. Okay, actually, it's, it's time to go, so let's close with a loving-kindness practice. Just feeling your own uh, heart center, breathe in through your heart, all the goodness in, thanks, in, around you in life. It's right here for it if you let yourself open up to it. Let it touch the goodness inside of you. And appreciate your sincere intention that would bring you here on a Thursday. May I see clearly, see through my fears and my judgments. May I take refuge in the Dharma and see everything in life supporting my awakening including all the cast of characters in it. May I share my love well. May I access it inside and share it well. May I awaken to my true nature beyond the small sense of I And then to send these thoughts out to everyone here and everyone in all directions, all beings. May all beings see through their confusion and disappointments and see that life is supporting them. Supporting their awakening. May all beings feel their goodness and share their love well. May all find inner peace and accept things as they are. May all awaken to their true nature. And finally, may any merit that comes from our sharing the silence and the Dharma together be shared and be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings find happiness and peace. Thank you very much. Enjoy your movie. <laughs> Honor everyone in it. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.